My name is Warren Cook. Today is July 21st, 2016, and I'm speaking with... Annette Garland. In Calio. Calio, Utah. Utah. So, Annette, uh, would you tell me a little bit about yourself and your relationship to the Valley? Um, well, I grew up in Bountiful, Utah. I came here in 1973 to teach school. Taught in the one-room school here in Calio the first year. Met my husband. We got married. And then I've been going back and forth between West Desert School and Calio School for 39 years. And then I retired um, in 2011. So it's been a while. Um, my husband passed away a couple years ago. And he was very active in the, in the water. We call it the water grab. Um, very, very good spokesman for the Great Basin Water Network. And I'm the lady behind the spokesman. <laughs> so, what brought you here to teach school? Did you already know about the snake valley? No, in fact, it's it's a very interesting story because I graduated from BYU, and my father was a vice principal in Bountiful at Viewmont High School, and I didn't really want to teach in Davis County because I didn't really want to be on his coattails, or you know, I wanted to do something different just for a little while. And I saw a notice on the board at BYU Center about a teaching job in Tinnock School District. Never heard of it. And um, I thought, hmm. I had a roommate who was, um, well, a former roommate who had married, and he was doing a, a master's degree in drama. And he said, oh, that would be great. You go out there and... Um, teach out there and you can feed me information and I'll write a play or something to that effect. I At the time, I didn't know we were plagiarizing Christie, but, you know. Anyway, I thought, well, it's a good experience for a year. So I called the, the school district and, and the lady said, well, we want you to go out and take your parents and go out and look at it first and then come to the district office and we'll talk to you. So... I called, I was living in Provo, and I called my mom and dad in Bountiful, and I said, do you want to go on a trip with me, because there's a school teaching job I think I'd like to do. So they came out, um, we drove down the main street of Calio to the school, and there was a, a trailer attached kind of to the school, um, and I thought, was fun. My dad thought it would be a good experience, and my mom hated it. <laughs> she really did. She thought it was the end of the world, you know. And so I thought, well, I'll just do it for a year. So I stopped back by the district office in Eureka on my way back, and I said, I yeah, I think I'd be interested in applying for the job. And he said, okay. He said, here's the paperwork. Here's your contract. That's as much of an interview as I had. All I had to do was say, yes, I'd like to do it, and that was it. And so, you know, I, apparently they'd already, I don't know if they already had my transcripts, or I don't know, I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But that was all the interview I had. And here I am, like 40, what, 43 years later. And so you, your plan was one year. Yeah, my plan was one year, but I met Cecil, and that changed my plans. He was, he was very impressive, very, it was meant to be, it was meant to be. <laughs> so, so here um, I am at home. What else was it like to come into this valley and, uh, is it the, yeah, what else maybe well, kept you here? I think I had an advantage over people who were born here because I got to make a decision. I got, I felt, I felt like it was home from the very first time I was here. Um, the distances scared me a little bit. You know, because my close closest neighbor when I was growing up was closer than my cellar. And so, you know, you could look in their bedroom windows. And so the distances, I had to get used to that, but it didn't take very long. There's a kind of an independence here, kind of a, a solitude that you can find out who you are. And I think that's what I did. So... In a way, I feel sorry for people who don't get to make that decision, who don't get to say, hmm, this is where I decide to be. What do you think is unique about the Snake Valley? Well, there's lots of things that are unique. The good news and the bad news is that you know all your neighbors. 
you know, all other business, but you know them very well. Um, we're, my husband used to say we're held together by our mutual animosities, but when we need to band together, we do. And so there, I think culturally there's that. There's a lot of diverse religions that come together and are together. The school is the center of the social life, I think, you know, brings us all together. Um, Estelle and West Desert and Calio School, we all did activities together, often even Ibapa School. So I think that's a unique thing, too. And then we, you know, we're a ranching community, mostly. Well, here in Calio, we are. So that has a an advantage because our kids learn a work ethic, have something to do. They don't, they get in trouble, but... You know, they have to, they have to work at it. <laughs> so, because they are expected to help. They need to, they have to, you know. So, anyway. On top of, you know, going to school. Going to school. Yeah. yeah coming home and doing, helping with chores. And, and, you know, there's a lot of sports activities that take, you know, your cousins played sports and, you know, that, that's a big part of it. That's a big part of it. You said you, you jumped kind of between Calio and West Desert School, and I imagine you visited other places in the valley. I was wondering, what's your favorite? What's my favorite? Yeah. Calio, we have trees. <laughs> we have trees. Yeah, I, I like, you know, I like Estelle. I like Track Creek. I like, you know, I like all those places just because it's part of, you wouldn't really know people 25, 40 miles away if it wasn't so small, if you didn't go to school with them, if you didn't teach them, if you didn't play ball with them, if you didn't go to church with them. So, um, yeah, Calio is Calio's pretty. Pleasant Valley is nice. Eh, Partone needs a tree or two. I'm wondering if you remember when you first came here, what sort of water sources you used? I can I can remember very well. We um, my husband had just purchased this ranch, and before we got married, and so the only irrigation we had was ditch and and dam, and that was hard. That's hard work. That's really hard work. And I remember being out in the middle of the night one night because my husband was so tired. I said. I'll go change the dam, but I couldn't set the dang dam. So I was sitting there trying, with my feet on the dam, trying to shovel and trying to get that dam set. And couldn't couldn't do it. It was in the middle of the night. <laughs> Didn't want to get off of the dam either because then you lose it. Then you lose all your water. Then you can't set the dam, you know. So anyway, so we, we irrigated that way for several years. And then we bought some used pipe from a fella in... Panaka, Nevada, and it was five-inch pipe, very heavy, yeah, and we started irrigating, and we'd move from, we had one set of pipe, and we'd move from all of our fields with the trailer, and set it out, and water it, and then we'd move it to the next one, so we didn't have money when we first started out, I mean, I was a first-year teacher, and he just bought the ranch, we didn't have money, so that's how we irrigated for a long time and then we moved to wheel lines lateral lines you know and uh, well first we moved to four inch lines which were nice and three inch lines which were nice so that we didn't have to break our backs yeah and uh, and then wheel lines and and we have wheel lines and pivots now and we have one the only the only feel that we use uh, hand lines in now is this little one to the side of the house but we have two pivots and ten wheel lines, I think, and so so there's been you know a real progression through our ranch at least most ranches here. You know they were all irrigating, ditch irrigating when we got here. When we say ditch irrigation, were you pulling from a creek or a stream? We have we have what we call mountain water comes out of three streams on the mountain in Calio. We have a Calio irrigation company and we own shares in the company. We we didn't inherit very many shares when we bought the ranch. Uh, that's a different a different story for another time. But anyway, 
uh, we had very little water, so we had drilled, well, there was one well here, but we've also drilled three more wells since we've been here. And so we've got four, let's see, one, two, three, four, not counting our culinary wells, but four irrigation wells. And yeah. Did that change? Oh, yeah. How you use water for sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When we first moved here, all out back here were springs. We still have a big spring that's still out there. Um, we had a, what we call the swimming hole, which was a big spring that everybody used to swim in. It's since all pretty much dried up because we all started pumping. We can do it to ourselves. We don't need yeah. help from Las Vegas, you know. And so, yeah. So, I guess I'm wondering how, in, the, in those earlier days, what your conversations with Cecil would have been like about water. Well, when we first started out, we were careful with water. Very careful because after we drilled the wells, it was ex it's expensive. It's expensive to pump. And so, um, yeah, we were careful with water. We were worried about our springs drying up because our cows were drinking out of the, the springs, you know. And when we first moved here, Cecil could... He could hardly ride his horse out through the meadow because there were so many springs. Yeah, now you can drive anywhere and you'd be lucky if you see a hole. So, yeah. What was that like coming to this world of water or lack thereof? I didn't think about water in Bountiful. Never thought about it. Well, we got 18 inches of water a year. We, you know, we had a sprinkler, always had a sprinkler system on my lawn as long as I can remember. Um, a washer and dryer, my mother never was without a washer and dryer. So when I came out here, when I moved into this house, I didn't even have water in the house. I went out to the outhouse, which was out the back. And it wasn't very long till Cecil got me water. You know, don't misunderstand me. But when we first moved here, we took our bath right here in, in the tub, you know. And, and even after my daughter was born, we were still bathing in the in the tub there. And then he got a bathroom in, and that was nice. <laughs> it was very nice. And then I didn't have to haul water for dishes and that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was it was kind of like learning. I had to, I had to learn how to do it because I'd always had those conveniences, you know. And so, but I was proud of myself. Very proud because I can I know how to survive. I know how to do it. I worry about other people. And I just hope they don't have enough gas to get out here, you know? <laughs> so. Did you say Cecil was already out here, right? He'd been here only since he came in, I think, April of 73. And I came in September of 73. So he wasn't here very long. He bought Six Mile Ranch first you know where six mile ranch is up there it's up on the hill up here you can you can see it and then he went in partners he had a partner in montana he was he had come from montana and um he had had a partner on a little ranch in montana and he was real estate partners with a guy named rex claridge and so rex and marshall and cecil and rex's dad all got to be partners they bought this place. They bought what they call the Buchanan Place or the Christensen Place, whichever. They bought um, Redding Springs. They had a whole bunch of property. Well, as it all does work out, um, Marshall and Rex had a real estate business in Elko together, and they had a falling out, and they broke up their business. So Marshall didn't want any part of the partnership. We couldn't afford because he's, you know, he used all of his money. He'd just recently been divorced and had used all his money to buy the ranch. And so, out of default, we took this place down here in Calio, which was the best. I mean, it all worked out just how it was supposed to, so. But, um, yeah, and that's how we we got to be down here in this house. And so. Now, I... Did I wonder from your question? <laughs> what perspective do you think Cecil brought, coming from Montana? Well, 
Yeah, you'd have to understand. Cecil was had been president of the Montana Wilderness Association before he came. And he'd worked on the Lincoln Scapegoat Wilderness Area, which was the first uh, de facto wilderness area. Well, first, I no, I'm not going to say that. It was the first uh, grassroots-initiated wilderness area. All of the other wilderness areas had been initiated by the Forest Service. So he, um, he was very instrumental in getting the Lincoln Scapegoat Wilderness um, in Montana. So he, they had divorced, um, and he wanted to just get out of, I mean, he needed to have a break and get away. So, uh, Marshall said, well, I know of a ranch down in Utah that you can get for really cheap. You'll die if I tell you how. $30,000 is what he bought the ranch for. Wow, yeah, yeah. So he jumped at it, came down here, um, bought cattle. We had six cows to start with. And so he became a wilderness, a cattle raising wilderness advocate. And <laughs> which is, if you know anything about it all, it, it can put you in a kind of a compromising position sometimes with your neighbors still does but um and i have a tendency to be just a little on the liberal side myself in in some things but kind of wilderness and that kind of stuff so uh, i'm i'm pretty i'm pretty sympathetic to that but anyway he um we weren't here very long we came in 73 well i guess Long about 1978, we started hearing rumblings of the MX missile coming here. And so he he was reading to our daughter and said, oh, they're going to put it here when we heard about it. And we hadn't heard anything about where it was going to be. Sure enough, this was a big part of where it was going to be. So he went to work against that. He um, was um, part of a group called Ranchers for Peace. He went to the Soviet Union and um, worked. He traveled all over speaking against the MX missile. And yeah, that was in that was in the early, late 70s, early 80s. I think it was 81 when they decided not to build it. So, um, so he, he was active that whole time. While we were trying to ranch, he would, he would go um, on speaking tours and stuff. And I stayed and taught school because we had to, you know, pay for his expensive hobby. <laughs> Bill will tell you that. <laughs> and um, anyway, so he yeah, was, he's yeah. always been an activist. Um, when we had the electronic battlefield scare, they were going to put the electronic battlefield out here. Then he had to go to work against that. There's just kind of a little cloud hanging over the West Desert and Snake Valley because because we're so sparsely populated everybody thinks well there's nobody there let's take it and right now the Air Force wants to take it and for you know they want to take our roads and stuff so anyway that's our new battle what sources of water uh, do you still use well we're a third partner in our, a well that's on the hill up there. We have a reservoir. I don't when you came through you probably saw it. There's a reservoir on each side of the road. We own a third of the reservoir on the as you're coming down on the west side. And then Alan Johnson owns the one on the right side, and then there's another one on down. Um we we pump out of that, then we have three other irrigation wells that we pump from. We have a little bit of um of water shares so in the spring when the water first comes off the mountain we get some of the mountain water but we only have 121st of all the mountain water so anyway that all happened to the old widow lady that um, owned our home before she kind of got what they do to old widow ladies <laughs> so anyway so that's what we that's what we still use and basically that's what we had when we came well I won't say that because we drilled three wells but yeah and you still pull from those wells mm -hmm. that's for agriculture right and then you have, do you have a culinary well we have two culinary wells oh. my daughter lives next door she's got a culinary well and then i have one 
but we use that also for the corrals. We have um, cattle waters in the corrals and stuff. So we, you know, it's not really just culinary because we, we could count it agriculture because we water cattle with it. So. So when you came to the valley and also now, do you visit or have you visited other sources of water or bodies of water within the valley itself? Have I visited? Or do you regularly visit or use springs? No, or, really? no, okay. not really, no. We, um, like I said, we have a spring back here. We don't use, because we don't own the water in the spring. Somebody else filed, he owned the hole, but the water is, yeah, that's part of the story. There's, there long ago there was a gentleman, and I won't even tell you the name, but who filed on all the water in Calio. Then he couldn't handle it, so he went to the neighbors after he'd filed on it, filed on it and, and um, kind of took it away from them and said, if you'll help me build the infrastructure, I'll give you a third of it. So anyway, they had, they had no, I mean, it was blackmail, really, <laughs> because he owned the water anyway, so they had to do something. So they helped him build the, all the ditches off the mountain and stuff, and then he gave these two other, a third of the water. So he has, he had two thirds still. But anyway, so the water in the springs and the swimming hole and all, all of those springs back there, we actually don't own. So we can't pump out of them. We do, but our cattle drink out of them because it would be kind of hard, you know. So we do, we do take cattle water off of them, but we don't, we don't use any for irrigating or pumping or anything. Can't. Yeah, it really does. There's always a story behind it all, you know. You you and Cecil didn't ever go visit maybe springs up in the mountains or oh we yeah okay now I I'll go back on one we have BLM land on the west bench here so we developed two there were two springs there that we just dug out and developed and put a pipe through and then put a trough so that our cattle could. So there are two springs up there that we do use and we, and we developed, you know, BLM said, yeah, go ahead. We, you know, you could make them do it, but if you want the water fast, you know, you do it. Yeah. So that's what we did. So yeah, did you still use them. Mm -hmm. Did you visit them ever recreationally or swim in there or just hang out up there? Oh, we'd go camp for a night up there, but when you have a ranch uh, and yeah. you're starting a ranch, you just work, you yeah. know. And we were busy, really. We, you know, Cecil was traveling a lot, and I was teaching school, and so, yeah. We'd go camping for a night or so, but, yeah. We don't. I don't recreate up there. I don't go fishing. Hmm. Cecil never. And he was a fisherman, but he never went fishing. We didn't have time. Yeah. We did. It was interesting. I wonder if you remember the first time you heard about the groundwater development project, you know, SNWA's project to 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 take you know water from mm-hmm. the valley. I remember. Um, there was a meeting in Baker, Nevada, and some officials from Great Basin Water or from Sinwa, Southern Nevada Water Authority, came to Baker to tell us very emphatically that we didn't know what a treasure we had and that they were going to take the water that we were wasting more or less because we were letting a lot evaporate so we have a lot of you'll hear the word trans trans evaporation well that's what they were supposed to be going to capture well it's ridiculous you know i mean they're just basically going to put a straw down and pump, uh, suck it out. That's what they were going to do. And they it didn't have anything to do with what we were wasting. But uh, they were arrogant. They were arrogant. They just said, we're going to take it. We're going to do this. And much to this valley's credit, they banded together and they said, no, you are not going to do it. And bless his heart. Dean Baker down in Baker, I don't know if you've ever met his family, um, had a chance to sell water to Southern Nevada Water Authority. And he and that family, I I think, showed great integrity 
And if it weren't for them, you know, they could have given in. They could have been wealthier than they are now. What I don't know. But um, they saved the valley. And then the rest of us went to work. And so we formed Great Basin Water Network. I can remember the day we formed that. It was just, I don't know, a room full of people that said, you know, we need to do this. And and uh, one of the one of the people there said, well, I know a lawyer in um, New Mexico who's been working on water things, Simeon Herskovitz. And I'll bring him to our next meeting. And we just formed the Great Basin Water Network. We just few people in the room, a couple of people from Reno, Abby from Carson City, and Sue, Susan, and, and Rose, and Dennis, and Steve Erickson. Have you met Steve Erickson? Yeah, yeah. Good man. He And we've known him since the MX days. Good friend of ours. Um, yeah, we formed the Great Basin Water Network, and that's how it started. And guess what? They haven't taken any water yet. And that was... 2004, 12 years ago. So hooray for us, you know. It might not be over, but it's gone on longer than they gave it. So, or anybody gave it. So, What do you think they expected when they came in? Well, they came in like insurgents. I don't know what they expected. You have to defend yourself when someone tells you you're, you know, you don't know what you have and we're going to take it because you're so dumb you don't know what. And you know, and they and they were arrogant. They were just arrogant. And so I don't think they realized, they didn't realize the quality of people that they were dealing with, you know. And the people had been, it wasn't their first rodeo. <laughs> it wasn't Abby's first rodeo. It wasn't Rose's. It wasn't Steve Erickson's. It wasn't Cecil's. It wasn't Dean Baker's. He was in the MX fight too. So I don't think they realized I don't think they realize the the um, quality of the people that, that live here, you know. And you said you were just sitting in a room. Was it a, a formal meeting when you when you when you were you know talking and said, okay, let's form this network, or was it just an informal gathering? Like, I'm wondering no, it was a formal kind of, meeting. Right? Well, we got together. Um, well, I, I can't say it was a formal. I I don't I don't remember, but. I, I can't remember how we decided to get together, but we just, some of us got together and then it grew from there. Um, we have lots of support from the Indian tribes now, um, the Goshutes and the Ely Shoshone, and the Duckwater has helped us too. So yeah, so started with just a few people and we're still citizen-based. We don't have dues we don't you know we still just ask for contributions and because our lawyer is a wonderful guy and has worked for not very much money for a long time we've done really well he's had four four um, wins in court so we haven't had a loss it is amazing it is you know, there's this adage in the west that you know water flows uphill toward money mm-hmm. You know, wondering how this seems to kind of defy that. We, we're trying to defy that. It's hard. It's hard work because that's usually the way it goes, you know. And But I don't know. I don't know. You might have to believe in divine intervention a little, too. I don't, you know, I don't know. I think so. Someone maybe comes into the valley, maybe a family member, you know, a friend, and they haven't heard about this. You know, they say, like, hey, Annette, like, I saw this banner at the border in, NASA's coming in, what's going on? How might you respond to someone like that? Well, we're, we're all educators, and I, and I think that's a good opportunity to be an educator and to educate people. I talk to lots of people about it, you know, and when we, when we first started, um, I'll be honest, Kathy Hill and I, and Ed, we did a lot of education in school. We did a lot of talking to the kids about it. And the kids would talk to their parents about it. And um, we used water-wise stuff and just kind of made it work with, with our valley. 
um, the governor came here. Um, well, two governors have come here. Governor Huntsman came and Governor Herbert came. Uh, we've had uh, legislators from the state legislature. We're down at my school. We fed them lunch. We took them on a tour of Calio. Went down to Baker. Took them on a tour of Baker. Went to um, Border Inn and had lunch. And you know, did the whole spiel. The kids were involved in that. They put on a program. So the whole community from from Calio to Baker has been pretty much involved. You know. And I don't know of anybody who wouldn't educate someone if they came in, you know, from from Estale to Calio School to West Desert School. You know, we all did. And we all would. It's just a natural part. It's so much a part of our life now. It really is. It really is. So. That's amazing. You know, you know, when you think about it, just kind of objectively... Just the distance, like you said, from Calio to Baker, mm-hmm. not to mention that you're crossing state lines. Absolutely, which has which has muddied the water a little because we were supposed to have that um, bi-state agreement, you know, and we worked and that wasn't easy because some some people in our group wanted the agreement. We had Dean Baker was on the the negotiating committee and he thought we needed it. But we didn't think it, we didn't, the Garlands, the Hills, didn't think it was a good um, agreement. And so we really lobbied. We lobbied the governor against it. And most people were against it. So, And that's when Governor Herbert came out and, and talked to the people, listened to the people. To his credit, he really did listen. Yeah. He really did listen. And he made the right decision then I don't know if they'll go back and revisit. I'll have to do it again if, you know, see what it's like. But at the time, they were doing a 50-50 water split, and that's not the way it is. Utah has most of the land and most of the water. Yeah, 80-20, you're right, exactly. So Say I am that person, mm-hmm. and I'm right here. Mm-hmm. And I say, Nat, we're friends. Mm-hmm. And now you can just tell it to me what is going on. Mm-hmm. Like how... Given what you know and your perspective, you know, within this network, how do you explain this this project? Or... Well, I just got through writing the brochure for Great Basin Water Network, so I would hand you one. I don't know if Abby did, but I will hand you one if she didn't. And we have a website with a lot of information, a lot of information. So I'd tell you to to um, look at the website. We the, we have hired. And he doesn't get paid very much money, but there's a gentleman in Las Vegas, Howard Watts is his name, and he's a young, I don't know how old he is, but he's young, <laughs> and he's doing our social networking. He's tweeting for us, and he's at the legislature when the legislature's there and tweets, and all of the social networking. So I would tell you, you know, get on the social networking, and um, there's so much and there's, I have a whole, I have a whole room upstairs that I am going to have to donate to somebody of newspaper articles. And because we've been doing it since 2004 and there's just so much, there's so much history. There's so much, so much to do right now. We're kind of stalled because we're in court and that's where we have to be. And we knew that we, so we're not in the news as much as we used to be. Um, we're not doing the fundraisers well we do fundraisers but i mean the the attention getting stuff like the run and that kind of stuff we're not doing that anymore because we're at a different point in our battle but we've won in court four times and i think we'll continue to win hypothetically let's say this the snwa gets what they want okay let's just say you know they start pumping for whatever reason hypothetically I guess two questions. One would be, how do you think it would affect you and your family? And how do you think it would affect the community as a whole? Okay, well, your hypothetical is, to me, is so far away because, for one thing, they haven't built a pipeline, right? So, and we're in court right now 
over the pipeline. Um, they, um, the state engineer gave Sinwa water out of Spring Valley, Cave, Dry Lake, uh, Delmore. Okay. But so we, we took them to court and the judge said, yeah, that's capricious and you, there's no way you can appro uh, appropriate that much water. There's no monitoring. There's no mitigation. There's nothing. You have to go back and revisit this. So that's another case that we're in court right now. It's, it's called the remand. So he's telling Sinwa and the state engineer, you guys got to go back and you got to do it again. And they went to court and lost their appeals. So they've got to do that. So, okay, so I'm just telling yeah. you. Oh, but yeah. I'm just I telling think. you, okay? So, but if they did, if for some, you know. I think they have this idea, you know, or maybe, maybe you know, like those two people that came in have this kind of imagination about, oh, it's just going to be happy in the yeah, valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just, we're just taking a little bit. So no, curious, they like, didn't even say that. They just, you know, they just said, we're just going to do it. You know, kind of like, you know, they they do. But, but they might think it's all going to be okay. It's all going to, well, so they say it's you, all going to be okay. Yeah. They know it's not going to be okay. They know it's not going to be okay. Because they've got models and they had a, they had a hydrologist that did a model that showed it wasn't going to be okay. And he switched to our side. Yeah. So, but, okay, yeah, let's yeah. go back to your question. Okay, if yeah. it did happen, it would be devastating. Now, it wouldn't affect us right away, but it would be devastating to Baker, Nevada. It would be devastating to Estale. It would, I think, even be devastating to Gandhi and probably part of Trap Creek. Pretty quick. Pretty quick. And so... Those are my neighbors, you know. We have a tendency to say, well, not my backyard kind of thing, you know, but that is our backyard. It's our neighbors. And even though it's 40 miles, 70 miles away for Baker, I, it's still coming out of the same bathtub. You know, eventually it would affect us. Eventually our family would have to leave. We wouldn't be able to do it. Because like I told you when we first started, we're doing it to ourselves. We're drying up our own springs. Our wells used to be flowing here in Calio. You know, they've dropped. So, and we know. I mean, they've monitored. We know. We can do it to ourselves. So, yeah, it would be devastating. And you know what? It wouldn't be enough water to last Las Vegas for very long. It would devastate here. And they'd have to go somewhere else anyway. They're going to have to do some desal. They they have to. They are going to have to renegotiate the compact on the Colorado River. They have. To. Now I you know and I don't know where you are on this, um, but Lake Powell, what a waste of water. I mean, if we're talking about wasting water, it leaks, it evaporates. It's fun to water ski on. It's fun to camp on, but we ruined a nice canyon too, putting water in it. So if we're talking about filling up Lake Mead, yeah, I think we should fill up Lake Mead. But you know what? Utah isn't going to do that. It is, you know, and yeah, I like to go down there and visit too. But when you think about it, it's, you know, and you and we're talking about wasting water. We're talking, it's a big waste of water. In this hypothetical, you know, world we're, we're talking about, I wonder how the community would respond. You, you mentioned, like, we'd have to leave. Do you think that's, that would be a, a larger theme for the, for the whole valley? Eventually. You know, we're at the, we're at the bottom of the, but you have what we call hydrostatic pressure too from the Great Salt Lake. You start pulling that and guess what replaces it? The salt water. So, and I think they did a study about how long that would take, but Calio would be salty. Calio water would be salty because you're pulling it. So who knows how long it would be? That's, you know, 
they have models and they've done those studies yeah. and that's part of the hearings but you know you just and then you know you say well geez I'll be dead and probably I would be but you have to care about you know you have to care about your family and, and the integrity of the land and the animals here and not just the people you're talking about salty water or all the antelope and all the creatures that live here. And it's just as important. You know, to me it is. To me it's just as important. So. Do you think the antelope and the, and the creatures here have been a part of the conversation? Absolutely. 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 Fish. Fish has been a big part of it because we have the Bonneville cutthroat in our streams. And yeah, it's, it's a big part of the conversation and it should be it needs to be not only the integrity of the people you know living here but the plants and you know sagebrush the greasewood the whatever you know and you know what you take greasewood off of this west desert and guess what you guys in salt lake are going to be breathing when you have a big old storm guess where that all comes from yeah exactly Exactly, exactly. I'm glad. I'm glad you see that. It is a big system. It doesn't just affect here. Doesn't just affect Baker. You know, it affects Salt Lake right now. And if and if you take the the plants and the greasewood and everything off of here, it'll only be worse. Pretty big it's place. Mm -hmm. I've heard some people characterize you know, this conflict as this clash of values. You know, maybe within the scope of water in the West. And so I wonder, you know, what's there's, your take? There's some of that, I think. I think that there, I, I think we have to decide if we're going to allow big metropolises like Las Vegas, St. George, I'll throw them in. I think the Arizona people are doing it better, you know. But Los Angeles did it to Owens Valley. Do you let those big metropolises just overwhelm, you know, the, the smaller places? The agriculture. You know, what are you going to eat when we swallow up all of the agricultural land? And, yeah, I think there's a value to it. I, I don't, I, I think it's a little disingenuous for those people to say, we have more people working on one floor of our hotel than you have in the whole of Snake Valley. So, yeah, yeah, it, it could be a, a value question. I think that there, my husband used to say, <laughs> he used to say, girls, gambling, what else? What else was it? Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. glitz, and yeah. Anyway, or do you have family, religion, that kind of thing? Yeah. And we, country, we use that, we use that as a, propaganda thing but it's true i mean you know it it isn't all of that the people all of the people in las vegas are not bad people but you know what we have a whole community of people down there that think it's a bad idea that are part of our group you know that don't want to pay for it <laughs> i mean let's not talk about anything of values let's talk about their money they don't want to pay for it and they're going to pay through it for it through the nose they're going to pay for it because they used to tell us it was two billion dollars to build that pipeline you know where it is and we used to say no but you know what they're saying now sinwa 15.8 so we've gone from saying it'll cost two million to 15.8 and you know if they're saying 15.8 it's gonna be yeah yeah and and they don't want to pay for it they want a different solution, and they've got to come up with a different solution. Just because they'll devastate this valley and the next one over, they'll devastate them. And there's and there's not enough water, you know, to hold them very long. So anyway, I think I got off again. I'm kind of that way. I'm kind of a rambler. Gut reaction right now. What do you think the future of water is in the Snake Valley? This is a hard one because as a rancher, 
you want to keep your options open, right? I want the option of having enough water to run my ranch. And I want my neighbors to have enough water to run their ranch. But I don't think that the water's, that kind of water's there to do too much more growing. So I think Bill, Garland's, Don Anderson, I think we've got the water now that we're going to have. I don't think any of us can grow very much more. I don't think the water's there. And I'm afraid we're going to have to close the basin, which means you, you can have water appropriations, but only like one pivot at it. And that's how it is now. You can only get enough for one pivot. You can't have a big speculation and put in three or four pivot pivots. It's not there, you know. It's just really not here. And I think we're about as big as we're ever going to get. We're using we're using what we've got. And I believe in I don't know whether it's I call it global warming. We are getting warmer. We're getting drier. And maybe we'll go through a cycle, you know, again, where, you know, in the 70s, we used to say we're going back into an ice age cycle. Well, I don't remember it, but I, I, I believe this earth is getting drier and something maybe will happen and we'll get more water. But, it, you know, my husband used to say we're going to have to have a whole bunch of comets come through and, you know, give us more water because it's not, it's not here. It's not on this earth. And I'm talking about the whole earth, not just Snake Valley, not just Utah. I'm talking about everywhere. So, yeah, I think we have to be very careful. And that's what I believe. I just believe that we've got all we're going to have, and maybe it's going to be less, you know. And, and that makes me sad because I'm in the business of raising alfalfa, you know, and cattle, you know. And I don't care what they say. People like to eat a hamburger. And a steak. They do. And they like to drink milk. That's where it comes from. I like you mentioned, you know, it's not just this valley. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm wondering if that being a rancher, you know, and growing up alpha has helped you, you know, to develop that perspective. Kind of that hands-on, you know, we're getting drier. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we used to take people on tours and show them this field you couldn't ride a horse through it this field now we can walk and you can see the holes and my husband and I did a brochure for the we call them the three wise men they were the lawyers that were um, trying to get us to see that the Utah Nevada agreement was a good deal okay so there were three lawyers I won't tell you they are one of them's my good friend but anyway we did a brochure and we put my son-in-law in the holes that used to be spring holes. And we used to have to put things over them so the cattle wouldn't fall in them. Now they're just big holes. I, yeah, I know that. I know it. I know it costs a lot more to pump it now than it used to. And that's not just because, you know, electricity is more. It's because we're pumping it from farther down. Now we're using better technology. You know, flooding is really not an efficient way to irrigate a field. It's really not. And so we're using, you know, we've got two pivots and and ten wheel lines, whatever. That's the most efficient way you can water your crops. But still. Do you think most people really get that? I don't think they stop and think about that. Most people don't, you know, most people, you go in the grocery store, you don't even think about it. You don't think about the eggs that you pick up. You don't think about your meat. You don't think, I saw something on Facebook this morning um, about the wheat growers, you know, they make so much money. I think it was $84,000, the broker that sold the wheat to whoever is making the flour. Okay, so they got $84,000 and the farmer that sold it to the broker got 5400 or something. So, you know, there's there's a lot of middlemen in there. You know, from the producer to the consumer, yeah. 
There's a lot of people in between. And so we don't think about it. And I think this, this is an honest, good way of life, being a producer. I think the more we get away from producing, the more insane we get as a society. You want to know why we're shooting each other? I think that's why. I think we don't have a work ethic. I don't think we know where our food comes from. I don't think we know where our gas comes from. I don't think we know any of that. And that's because so many of us are on the top of the food chain, produce, or consuming, not producing anything. You know, and I've got people in my family who are computer programmers, and I just say, look, you know, I think it's great that you're a computer programmer, but you can't eat it. And I'm proud of yeah. myself because we have a milk cow, we have chickens, we have mm. beef, you know. I know how to do those things. When the hard times come, I know how to do those things. And the poor people in that go to the grocery store and the food's all out, I feel bad for them. I just hope they don't have enough gas to get anywhere where we are. How has, you know, at SNWA and being a part of the Great Basin Water Network, I guess this project as a whole, this experience, how has that changed the way you think about water? Well, we just think about it all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've changed how I, um, because I always knew it was vital to our lifestyle. Always knew it was. I've always known it was vital to the wildlife here. But when somebody wants to take it, then you think about it. You, you think about how can I protect it? How can I keep them from doing that? How can we keep it here in the valley? Now, you know, I, I really don't mind sharing water with everybody in this valley because we're, it's, it's kind of a closed water system and, and we all should share. But for inner basin transfer to come in and take water out is immoral. It's immoral. Because what you're doing is you're devastating a place for your benefit. And that's not right. So I would say any inner basin transfer is wrong. And maybe I didn't think about that when I was younger or when we first started. But I've really grown to believe that. It's immoral. It's immoral to devastate one place for the benefit of another. Or maybe what's the takeaway? You know, what is this? this process taught you? How do, where do we go from here? Well, there's lots of things that I've learned from this process. One is that it's important to stand up and fight, to be an activist. And I don't think we do enough of that as a society. I think, you know, we might go march and do all that stuff, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the grinding away for, you know... What, what has it been now, 12 years? You know, just the... And oh, it's expensive. You ask anybody in our group. You ask how much Abby has put into it. And Rose and Susan and Steve. And it's an expensive process to be concerned about your environment and an activist. But it's important, you know. And that's, that's the only way you can do it. So that's one of the takeaways, you know, that... If you live in a place that you want to be and you think it's in, you know, a good place to live, then you got to protect it. you got to protect it. It took us a long time to fight the MX missile, not as long as this. That, that was only maybe a four, altogether four or five year battle. And I don't think we're through yet. You know, we're going to be in court with Sinwa a long time. Our, our, you know, the people that started out are not going to be with us. <laughs> And that bothers me. That worries me because we don't have a lot of young kids that are involved in our group. We don't. And that is another thing to take away. You know, how maybe maybe there'll be another groundswell. You just have to hope so. And maybe they, you know, because the old guys that have always done it are still doing it, then they leave it to us. But it worries me, worries me very much that... You know, 65 is considered young in our group. 
Yeah. At this point in the conversation, I like to ask, what haven't we touched on? What haven't I asked you? What question haven't I asked that maybe I should have? No, I I don't know. I can't think of one. Um, Maybe another thing that's been good that's come out of this is that we've gotten to know our neighbors better. We've worked with our neighbors, um, and we haven't always agreed. I mean, there's been times when it gets heated in our debates, but uh, ranchers and environmentalists and hunters and uh, recreationists and have all come together and kind of put our little individual things aside and worked for one common thing. I think that's been very good. So... Um, and I can't think of anything that I that you haven't really addressed, except Pat Mulroy. <laughs> I could I could go on and on about that lady. I don't know if you have researched her at all. Yes, the water. Yeah, we we there are other things that we call her, but anyway, I think I think she at times was our biggest ally. Because she came across so disingenuous and so hard. She's hard. You know, and I've met her. I've talked to her when we weren't kind of debating. And she seems like a nice lady in some ways. And she and Cecil actually got along pretty well. But she was a hard lady when it came to what was going to happen and what she was going to do. And... When she was the head of Sinwa, you kind of knew what was happening. Now I kind of worry about it a little because you don't hear as much. You know, it's kind of the devil you know, you know. And so, anyway, but that was that was kind of an interesting experience because she went from at the very beginning saying that this project was the stupidest thing she had ever heard yeah. to we're going to do it and you guys get out of the way. And if you want a seat at the table then take a seat at the table, but you do it the way we want. So, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's probably yeah. all I should say on tape. Uh, <laughs> Dean Baker, he had this offer. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's a time, right, where you have, might consider, you know, or you, you, you're, you're going to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And then I think about you and Cecil, mm-hmm. you know, talking, thinking, okay, you know, we've, we've done MX. This is what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm wondering what, what drove you or motivated you, you know, or what has motivated you over these years, you know, to, to dig your heels in and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to stay. Well, Cecil and I were really different people. I'm more shy, more, um, don't say a lot. Cecil was pretty out there, straightforward, um, kind of relished it. In a way, he did. He relished a little bit of a, a fight. He was good at it. He'd been, he's been doing it for a long time. He's good at it. And so I had to kind of learn, and I had to be kind of the lady behind the guy, kind of a little bit. And so, anyway, um, where was I going with that? What, what did yeah. you ask me again? What motivated you guys? What motivated me? Well... Cecil was already motivated, you know. I mean, he 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 knew he he knew he was good at. It. He knew it needed to be done, and so I learned. You know, I kind of I kind of was tutored and how to how to do it, and I was kind of behind the scenes lady. I would he would write stuff and I would edit. Mm, he would go to meetings and I would stay home and take care of the rat. Yeah, we were a team. Absolutely, absolutely, we were a team. What's motivated this whole valley? Yeah. Well, I think, I think um, I said it once before, and Cecil used to say that they were insurgents. They came in, and they came in like they were going to take over the valley. You don't do that. You don't do that to people. That's the one thing that will get people motivated. They want to protect their homes. They want to protect their lifestyle. They want to protect their neighbors and valley. You know. And they came in so arrogant, so hot and heavy, so demanding. They were demanding. 
that we fought. You know, if they'd been sneakier, who knows? <laughs> if they had somebody besides Pat Mulroy, who knows? I think she I think she was our biggest ally because she made people mad. Okay, that's all I have. Well, <laughs> I hope I gave you something to help.